This is Lachlan Rouston. This is Raf Friedman. And you're listening to the fittest podcast in Australia, The Mind Muscle Project. All right, Project, welcome back. Q&A, uh, obviously, as always, best, best show of the week for us. We get to chat to you guys and you guys send us in your questions. Uh, so we, we kind of pulled a lot of these questions from some old comments. So um, yeah, we kind of missed them uh, at the time. So we thought we'd go back and pay homage to the people that commented weeks, potentially months ago. So um, thank you so much for sending them in. If you want to ask us a question at any time, just message the My Muscle Project on Instagram and uh, we will make sure they go in. Remember, we can only do the best kind of four to five questions a week. So we get a lot more than that. So we just need like, we need quality from you guys. All right, just think it through. No typos, like spell check. Make sure you, uh, you, you know, audit it past your partner or your training partner. So they're like, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I guess the more specific, the better. Yeah. Yeah. If you give us something like really low context, really broad statement. Like how to get big question mark. Yeah. Or what foods are good question mark. <laughs> then we're not going to answer it. All right. So specific is better. All right. Uh, Connor, first question. Cool. Uh, number one comes from Aaron Munt. Uh, love the show. Does taking anti-inflammatory medication reduce your body's natural ability to heal? What about pain medication? Okay. So... Uh, anti-inflammatories, also known and referred to in this podcast as NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Uh, they are potentially some of the worst and most damaging medication that you could ever take in your body. Uh, we have a whole episode coming up with Coach Jake um, Dolishow, and he's going to be explaining uh, the, the damage of anti-inflammatories. Now, if you go into Google and you type uh, research anti-inflammatories, negative uh, side effects, there is so much research out there. Uh, it's, I'm surprised it's not as public as it is. I'm um, obviously some suppression from uh, the pharmaceutical companies, but my God, the damage that is occurring from regular NSAID use is like you're talking about stomach ulcers. You're talking about small intestinal bleeding. You're talking about cancer growth. Uh, major, major health issues from taking NSAIDs. So don't worry about your body's natural ability to heal. I mean. There's just way bigger concerns that I would have with taking regular anti-inflammatories. Now, that is as frequent that is as frequent as once every two weeks. So if you take an NSAID once every two weeks, you are in that realm of potential of those side effects. Well, I've even seen like when they define chronic, so women that use it uh, for their cycle, that's like once a month, yeah. right? They even once a month is like they still put it down as chronic use. Yeah, yeah. So the active ingredient there is uh, ibuprofen, um, but when you said, what about pain medication? I think you're talking about what about other pain medication? Paracetamol. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot safer. That's basically your other cheap option. Yep. Which is what I ended up switching to, to get off NSAIDs. So it's, oh, like, it's like a Panadol. To get off NSAIDs? What do you mean? Like to get oh. off ibuprofen, sorry. Oh, when you were addicted to it? I wasn't addicted. <laughs> I was just... I just fucking needed something. What? This is when you were in college, right? Yeah. And, so and this you, is when you, you, my, you broke your arm, right? My... Uh, no, yeah. So that was the first thing. And I broke my wrist. So that okay. got me on them. And I remember, so what happened was like, I was like taking one of these, 100 milligrams of ibuprofen. And then the doctor prescribed me something. I was like, he's like, he just got me a painkiller. I'm like, oh, cool. Like a real painkiller. Then I look into it. I'm like, all this is is 400 milligrams of ibuprofen. Right. That's it. Right. That's the prescription. So I'm like, oh, bro, I'll just take four <laughs> of the ones that I can get over the counter. And he was recommending, you know, two of these. That was 800. Oh, shit. So I was like, I was taking one pill. I was like, dude, his prescription is 800. So, that's so, you, like, so you, you AXed it. So that just blew the lid off it, right? And then uh, the worst was when I had my leg injury. I was, because we had a sevens comp, so it was like three, three games in a day and I needed it to play each game. Um, 
So I remember I had a bottle of 100 and after the first game on the second day, I'd run out. Oh my God. That's so many. So you use paracetamol to wean yourself off that. And then after that, like my leg was fucked. I couldn't straighten it. And then I, and then I kind of knew about it. Like I knew it wasn't good, but I couldn't really feel it. And then um, I started feeling really sick after that. And then I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go paracetamol. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not only is it going to not re- reduce your body's natural ability to heal. It's just going to wreck your body. So like just anything that just hurts, harms your body, harms your system. It's obviously going to wreak havoc on all the things that your body does, including healing. Yeah. Right. So, including even muscle growth because it blunts the inflammation that you need to recover from training. If you're taking NSAIDs and trying to grow muscle, forget about it. Yeah. You're doing, you're like, okay, send the signal to grow muscle, take something to remove the signal to grow muscle. That's, that's essentially what you're doing. So, get off it as best you can. The only times I would be using these drugs is if you are in severe pain, like when I rolled grade, grade two, rolled the ankle. Uh, next yeah. day it was so much pain there's just no position that i could put my ankle in where it just wasn't fucking aching it's also just not chronic use no it was just like, like one time use yeah. i took it i took it twice yeah i took it on the on the day after and the day after that and, and that's then, generally fine and then i just i just left it and i was like just deal with the pain and that's going to be better and then obviously we talked about peptides before you can go see our youtube video on that i tell my story of how i use it i would be using something like that if it's something chronic that you need NSAIDs for like my dad for example He's got serious arthritis. He's three and a half weeks into his peptide cycle and he's like, I feel 50% better. Wow. Yeah. And he's like, I fucking feel amazing. And he's and he's increased his training mm. during it. He's like, I'm going to start peptides and then start running again and playing football. And he's like, I was in tremendous pain the first two weeks. He's like, but now I feel way better. I was like, wow, this shit is, is far better than inflammatory drugs. Cool. Next question. Number two comes from Marley Cockfield. How much muscle mass can I expect to put on per month as an immediate lifter? So Hold intermediate. On, this, our last two last names have been Munt and Cockfield. Yeah. <laughs> What's coming next? <laughs> We're Munted in the Cockfield. I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, God. Um, how much muscle mass can I expect to put on per month as an intermediate lifter? Intermediate. Okay. So beginner, I would say is like less than two. Would you say? Oh, sorry. Less than six months. And intermediate is like okay. six months to two years. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Six oh. months to... Five I actually years. think beginners your first year of training. A first year, okay. of, first year of like four right, days. Let's go on years. We'll go I years. never miss training. Okay, man, seven months in. Unless you're like a genetic freak, you are like you, you suck. Okay, so then intermediate would be like one to two years, depending on how dedicated you've been. Yeah, like, to like exactly for five, a lot of people, it like never ends, right? Probably probably five to ten years, depending yeah. on how shit you are. I yeah. think for most people, they never get past obviously intermediate. So it can be really anywhere from like one to ten years. Yeah, but also everyone's definition changes, right? Like yeah. you could ask a powerlifter that's like a world record holder. He's like, no, I'm still intermediate because like I haven't perfected yeah. like the hip I'm angle the world in the bottom of the squat. <laughs> you, know? you know, so I think yeah. generally throughout the population, intermediate I would define as like has two plus years in the gym, yeah. uh, consistently can train three days a week lifting weights by themselves. Um, and probably for guys, you'd say they've probably gained that initial six, seven kilos of muscle. Yeah, for girls maybe whatever about four kilos of muscle, like that initial newbie gains that you can often put on in the first yeah, like ten percent of your body weight. Yeah, depending yeah. on how tall you are. Yeah, if you've kind of gone from like sixty to sixty six, eighty to eighty eight in muscle, like you've put on the newbie gains. Yes, yes, it's 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 drops off dramatically. Oh, yeah, it falls off a cliff. Uh, so, as an intermediate lifter, yeah. So I'd say if you could look at your entire genetic potential to put on muscle mass, um, call it say, well. I think I looked at mine. Oh, I did know it the other day. I think in the last 10 years, I've put on 10 kilos, uh, but I'd been lifting already for a while. I'd put on 10 kilos. And I think of that, it was like eight kilos was muscle. 
Yeah. Or maybe it was a bit, it was like just a bit less than one kilo a year in muscle mass. And you could call that in many ways, my intermediate to advanced years. And that was going pretty hard. Probably the last two, three years, definitely not. Yeah, I, but think, like, I think if you'd focused it more, you probably could have achieved that in three years less, right? If you just like, yeah, you yeah. focused on it because you probably were almost there three years ago, right? Well, it's, yeah, I was doing so, we're doing so much cardio through yeah. that as well. So you're obviously blunting the, the muscle gain response, but now it's pretty much maxed out. I haven't given it a good push. If I was to give it a really good push in like sort of the advanced training years, you'd probably be looking at max one kilo every two years of like lean tissue, one to two kilos. Um, so the junior intermediate phase, yeah, you're probably looking at, oh God, best case scenario, you'd be looking at half a kilo every one to two months. That would be best case scenario. Likely scenario, maybe like half a kilo every three months, yeah, four months. I mean, half a kilo a month is like your absolute best run rate. Yeah. And it's obviously unsustainable yeah. without, um, without performance enhancement to keep it going. Yeah. And then, you know, probably at the low end, which is still good, is around the like 200 grams a month. Yeah, so, so like you know, just under two kilos a year. Yeah, that's that's realistic for most people. But remember, like, think about a piece of steak, right? Think about five hundred gram piece of lean cut meat. That's that's a big piece of meat, right? And you stack up four of them. That's two kilos. That's the worst case yeah. scenario. That's still a lot of tissue. I think, Bezzy, if you gain if you gain three kilos in under six months, you will get tons of comments about it. Yeah, people be like, "Oh, dude, wow, you've been of to- muscle." Yeah, of yeah, muscle. Yeah. People yeah. Are like, "Wow, you've been to the gym." Yeah. So if no one says that, you haven't gained. Three yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And like, you know, to, to net like a certain amount of muscle as well, because remember you're holding water, there's going to be like other tissue in there, connective tissue. Um, there's going to be bone in there as well, fat. So there's like, you when people go, dude, I gained two kilos of muscle because I said two kilos on the scale. And yeah, I'm like, not no. that much fatter. I'm like, okay, you probably gained like 500 grams, five yeah. to 800 grams, you know? So to actually net five kilos of muscle in a year, you would have to put on like 10 kilos, I reckon. Often, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you will look different you'll look different yeah so hopefully that helps um but yeah keep your expectations low focus on the process cool next question all right let's see what the last name is leo cooper oh we're safe that's fine (laughs) uh i feel like my shoulders roll forward creating a pretty average posture um essentially just asking how can she improve the mobility of her chest and shoulders Posture is an interesting one. Like it's a, it's a pretty heavily debated topic as to like how you can alter it i think or if it's even important yeah yeah or, or if it even can change yeah um i it definitely can change of course 100 yeah. it can change you change over your lifetime yeah yeah the question is like you know how much difference is that going to make to your life is it like a yeah. really good training goal to change your posture yeah like the what you can't do for your posture is to like go i'm going to stand up taller and then just constantly think stand up taller for your posture mm. like that that is a very hard thing to you know to do constantly to change your posture it is extremely difficult to remember all the time what does change your posture is literally how muscle is developed on your spine so like if you have more muscle at the front of your bones obviously your spine is going to pull forward if you have tightness in the front of your anterior side front side of your body through muscles and tendons it's going to pull your bones forward if you have more um, tension more strength more muscle mass at the back it's obviously going to like just the mechanics of it right the physics of it it's just going to balance out and pull your spine backwards so it just really depends if you feel like your shoulders are forward a really easy solution is to just get more muscle get more muscles in your back right through your rhomboids through your traps through your rear delts uh, and those things will help to just balance out the way your bones sit and are pulled just through basic physics so that's that's one way to do it and that would basically just be movements where your peak contraction is 
putting you in the posture that you're hoping to work towards. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there's also like looking at, yeah, the effect of what's happening in your day-to-day life. If you're spending a lot of time like hunched over a computer, hunched over a desk, um, you know, you're just sitting in or you're just training your brain to sit in a forward-leaning posture. Um, so to reverse that, you might have to change the stuff that you're doing in your day-to-day. It might be like a standing desk. Uh, it might be changing like the angle of your computer. Like people's monitors often sit like at their chest height. So they're like leaning forward. Like maybe you need to bring your screen up to your eye height. Maybe you need to spend less time on your phone. Um, there's just like a load of different things that can affect it in your lifestyle. That will make a difference as well. Like I know a lot of people and uh, it always happens at concerts. In concerts, you're like looking up, right? Because yeah. you're so not used to looking up. All the time. It's like you're looking up artificially high. Like you couldn't actually do this because yeah. it would. it's like it's too high. You don't see anything coming in front of you. But because you're looking at a stage, your neck always gets cranked. My neck always gets cranked. Like That's because you never look up there. Yeah. But people... The, the, sorry, the reason that that happens is, yeah, because the spine, the position, the muscles are so used to looking either forward or down that when you're up for like three or four hours in a row, because like when else are you just staring up at something for three or four hours yeah. in a row, it actually hurts your body. But you would imagine, okay, if I was looking up like that all the time, that would be normal for me. And I started looking down, I'd get pain if I looked down. So it's just really what you're doing in your lifestyle that's going to impact it as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, to kind of depend on the situation, like if you have great flexibility, your strength is really good in the gym, you can do plenty of rows and pull-ups and presses and everything's good and you're not injured, but you're not happy with your posture, maybe you just don't need to care about it. It might not matter that much because there are just genetic differences, right? Some people's upper backs are like really rounded. Yeah. Some people's are like really stiff and straight and you're just not going to, you might just not have the posture that you think is perfect, but your body, you know, works really well, which is definitely more important. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Cool. Uh, Hopefully that's helpful. Next question. Alrighty. So this one comes from O.Mac. How important are the calves and shin muscles in terms of knee health? Is skipping these muscles going to put me at a higher risk when running? When I first read it, I thought it was like skipping, like like doing skipping for these muscles. All oh, right, is skipping is skipping these muscles? Well, skipping would help those muscles. Yeah, I was sure. like, yeah, yeah, not a bad idea, man. Um, okay. y- yeah. Well, look, definitely, there's no doubt that getting stronger calves and stronger tibs, which is your shins, uh, is going to help you running. Of course, no doubt. Right, and, it, and yes, it is important to your knee health. It's below the knee. Exactly. Yeah, but you could also like never train these muscles and like not have knee pain when you run, Definitely. right? And like your knee health could be fine. So it's kind of tough. I would say like if you have knee issues when you run, it's not necessarily because these muscles are weak. Like for example, I was doing the knees over toes program and I I did it mostly out of the reason was I wanted to jump high, but also my knees hurt a lot after mm. a season of basketball and I was like I can't have this again and. So I went heavy in all his shin work and his calf work and I improved heaps in those exercises, but I still had knee pain, Yeah. right? And what actually took my knee pain away is I actually started training for this marathon and what I learned is I learned how to run properly, Mm. right? I learned how to stride properly and I also built up really intelligently through this program enough of the dynamic tension and trauma into my knees so that they could heal and get stronger and adapt. Whereas like when I would play basketball, it would be like I went and go and maxed out my front squat every time. It's no wonder my fucking knees and elbows and back hurts because I just went to max every single time. But by stopping basketball, by probably not really the strengthening of the muscles, maybe that helped a little bit, of course, but it was like doing the actual exercise that was making my knees sore, but doing it under loads and volumes that were manageable that I could recover from and get stronger. And by the time I finished the run program, I had no knee pain, which is like 
blowing people's mind, but it's like, it's only because the program was intelligent and smart. It's only because the first sessions were so slow. I felt like I, I should be running right now. And I was just doing this slow jog for 40 minutes. But what that was doing is it was actually strengthening up the body. And that's what I think is the misconception with run programs is like, they're doing it to get fitter and lose weight. That's why most people start run programs, right? Yeah. What run programs actually, what good run programs actually develop is they're actually just strengthening your your body for running. It's strengthening your back. It's strengthening your knees. It's strengthening your, your it's just conditioning your body to the impact. Because like you can be really fucking fit and really fast. If you just have not been running enough and you go out and do a long run, you're going to be in pain because it's just your body's not used to that amount of, you know, impact. Um, and so I would say if you're getting injuries from running yes this stuff can help it doesn't mean don't do this stuff but i would look at your program yeah. more than anything i think that is like a huge issue your program and your technique if you just slow your running down if you just increase the number of strides that you're doing i remember when i was posting about my runs a lot and my cadence was on there the most common comment i would get from like people that are good at running that follow me they would say you need to increase your stride uh decrease your stride length and increase yes. your cadence yes. to reduce injuries. that's pretty much everyone that's a shit runner yeah they're like you'll go faster and you'll be less injured and when i started doing that i noticed a big difference you're more efficient but also yeah you just get less injuries yeah um so it, yeah it makes a huge difference and that if you are getting knee pain running i would say i'd look at that first yeah and i think you know i think calves and shit are really important to train but it just might not be for your knee health or even you might not even get injured running yeah for other reasons for me working on my shins didn't really do anything for my knees but stop my shin splints so mm. that still helped right it was really really good for me with that i think anyone that you know if you've always had like uh pretty tight calves because your heels have been elevated in your shoes that can lead to really weak shins yeah because your shins are basically stretched out the entire time and then i think training calves through a full range of motion can be really good to stop uh, achilles tears you're probably not going to get an achilles tear just probably like on a long run but maybe like short sprints picking up soccer something like that you could the kiss of death um whereas like you know obviously just like because you just so really take your calves through full ranges of motion so taking them through full ranges of motion on a, any sort of calf raise also working your solace i used to get a lot of solace injuries actually from running uphill oh yeah because when you cause your knee is bent yeah yeah so all of a sudden like i would just i'd be like, oh i'm gonna get into hills four hills a week solace muscles so weak right so then you start mm. getting soleus pain which is kind of like just beneath your main gastroc your main big calf muscle so doing like seated it's like um, sharp pain yeah, like I okay. basically get a pull and it really would hurt. But the good thing is like, if you're not running up a hill, you can kind of really feel it, right? Okay. Or going upstairs or something. So um, so you kind of could avoid it. But yeah, that would be like seated calf raises or even like calf raises in a squat, like holding onto a pole, anything where you're like really bending your knee there. So I would definitely train your shins and your calves, but it's just not all about like for knee health and running. Yeah. And I and also exactly what you said. I wouldn't expect to like do shin raises and calf raises and be like really fast at running yeah that, that definitely doesn't happen <laughs> no no that's that's not gonna happen um but if you play sport i will add just as a bonus tip if you play sport these things can be very valuable because um you're putting your ankle in some more extreme positions so having that extra support there and that extra strength will will help a lot i mean i don't i can't say for certain because it happened so quickly but i would guess that because my ankles were so strong in the end ranges of motion because we just used to train ankles a little bit and i always like would stand on the outside of my ankles and roll yeah. my ankles back and i would do all kinds of just random strengthening stuff for my ankles all the time i would know for sure someone and i've you know i have a lot of range of motion in my ankles and, and they're quite they were quite strong before the injury that having that extra just that extra little bit of range of motion 
that extra little bit of strength probably kept it a grade two rather than if you had a really fucking tight oh, ankle, yeah. you never bent your ankle out to that lateral position comfortably. Like I could just stand on the outside of my ankles just for an indefinite amount of time. Yeah, if you can build up that tolerance, it's obviously going to decrease your injury risk. It could have been grade three, all yeah. the ligaments gone. And you know, you if know? you look at someone like you, ever see those gym, like basic, remember we did that basic gymnastics program? Like they train their calves and their shins and their ankles just a lot. Yeah. Right? Because they obviously have a lot of load when they land from a height. I saw this guy this morning, uh, ever trying to get this this like guru to her gym yeah. to like teach a seminar. So imagine, right, you're like in like the the praying kneeling position of like um like a Muslim praying, yeah, like on yeah, your yeah. Knees you know when they yeah. like yeah, they're, they're, the the soles the soles of their feet are facing up, yes, and like yes. the lace position, their foot is flat yeah. on the ground. Right? Most people can't even get in that position. Yeah, so he's in this position, right? He's sitting on his bum, but his torso is vertical, so his torso yep. angle is ninety degrees to the ground, and he like presses himself no. up. He presses himself up out of that position and he stops when his knees are at 90 degrees. So oh he's like God. in a, like a half squat and he's there and he's, and he's holding it and he's just like stretching out his arms. The video goes for like 60 seconds and then he lowers himself back so down. So he's on the back of his feet, like yeah. top of his feet. Sorry. Yeah. So like the, all the pressure's going through like the front of his yeah. shin and his ankles. Even that we know, I remember we did the Eugene Teo seminar. What did we have to do with that? I think we had to stand on the top of your big toe. Do you remember that test? Kind of like a ballerina. Stand you know how ballerinas of- will like oh, have yeah, these really yeah. stiff shoes yeah, and they'll yeah. stand on the tip of their toe. Even that, he was like, oh, like you should be able to stand. Eugene can do that. Yeah, he could do it. And we, oh we had a coach God. that could do that as well when we tested it. So like jump up and land on the tip of your toe like a Oh God. Oh God. Lo- lots of people can do that. You know, I think, yeah, there's a lot of strength um, and flexibility you can unlock in the feet. And obviously, because you wear shoes, most people's fucking suck. Yeah, but you look good and that's that's what matters. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for sending in your questions as usual. And thanks for your incredible last names. Uh, we'll remember them forever. So uh, if you, again, if you like this episode, if you want your question asked, send it through to the My Muscle Project on Instagram. Uh, we've got some stuff floating around on TikTok. Don't message us there because uh, we won't see it. But on Instagram is the best place. And yeah, we'll chat to you guys next week.